This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Fort Coquitlam and online at MetroMotors.com. KFCAM Vancouver. TSN 1040. An iHeart radio station. The official voice of Vancouver's hockey fans. Time now for Nation Network Radio on TSN 1040. Here are your hosts, Sean Abbott and J.D. Berg. Nation Network Radio, coming to you live on a Saturday ahead of the Vancouver Canucks match with the Calgary Flames at 7 o'clock Pacific. We're going to have Ariane over. She writes for FlamesNation.com. We're going to talk about the Calgary Flames and the run they're on. They've won a couple overtime and shootout games this week, so they're on a bit of a, a hot streak. We've got uh, Countdown to Faceoff as well, John Abbott with Dave Tomlinson. They're going to get you set up for that game. And uh, Ari, are you on the line? Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining the show. So I guess the, the question right now with Calgary is, is what's happened to, to Sean Monaghan? He seems to... F- taking that next step to becoming a first line center and i think he had what an overtime winner this week and uh another mm-hmm. hat trick correct me if i'm wrong uh hat trick was the uh, end of november in philadelphia that's right that's right close yeah, the first close. of his career what can yeah, you tell me about his um, game he's just a really good shooter i mean he he doesn't get he doesn't like pepper with um as many shots as you might expect for the number of goals he has, but throughout his NHL career so far, he's just had a naturally high shooting percentage. He gets right in the spot he needs to be. He's got a wicked shot, so uh, it just turns into goals, and it helps that his uh, regular line mate, Johnny Gaudreau, is also taking up to a new level, so they've kind of been feeding off each other. And one of the things that I noticed when I looked at uh, Sean Monaghan, his underlying statistics, was that he's actually developing into something of a a competent two-way player, which hasn't always been the case in his career. Uh, can you speak to his, his development when it comes to the defensive side of the game as well? Yeah, I think uh, part of that is a change in coaching. As you know, um, the Flames had Bob Hartley a couple of years ago, uh, and then they replaced him with Glenn Gallatin last year, and the team had a bit of a uh, struggling period under him and then kind of seemed like they got their footing under him. Um, it hasn't been all sunshine and roses, but the – underlying numbers have really ticked up under him and it just seems like it's a continued natural progression like I think it's partly um Monaghan like it's his fourth season I believe he's getting increasingly comfortable in the NHL obviously but uh now he's been paired with a coach that um places a greater emphasis on systems than just say like oh let's just block all their shots or whatever so uh it's, uh, I think, partly natural growth and partly just the uh, personnel around him from coach to line mates to overall roster has uh, really improved. So just a lot's gone right um, all at the same time. Are you part of Flames Nation? You can find your articles there as well, as J.D. Uh, aptly pointed out. And uh, this is a big divisional matchup for both teams. Uh, you wrote about the Flames side of that and uh, a bizarre schedule for those that haven't been keeping track of Calgary, and I can understand that in this area. But uh, after playing a spell of home games, the Flames had to go out east to Toronto and Montreal for the the very rare two-game eastern swing 
and then come back to host Vancouver before going back out on the road. So a bizarre stretch. They've managed to keep their head above water on that two-game stint in Toronto and Montreal, and that's all well and good. But how impactful are these divisional games against a team like the Canucks for where the Flames hope to get to this season? I'd say extremely. Um, remember a couple seasons ago when the like when the Flames and Canucks actually faced each other in the playoffs. I'm not sure if the Canucks record that year, but I know part of the reason the Flames made it that year was because they dominated their division. They beat um, just about everybody they had to, and that uh, accrued for a ton of their points. So so far this season, they're four and three against their division. I know the season series is one and one between uh, these two teams. And it's just um, they have to win those divisional matchups because, like, you're trying to win every game you can, obviously, to collect as many points as you can. But the it's the divisional matchups are the four point games. Any point you take away from your divisional opponent is uh, that much closer to ramping you up into the top three in the division and not have to rely on a wild card spot. David Riddich is not a household name, but he is now the back of the house, the backup to Mike Smith in Calgary. For Canucks fans listening in, uh, I know one question would be, what the heck happened with Eddie Lack? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's um, – I have a couple of series on that. One being um, – well, I, I think um, – and you guys might have been following from his time in Carolina that uh, the St. Louis' goaltending coach was well-documented that uh, he had him playing differently, and it just did not work out whatsoever. Another uh, is that um, – the start of the season, the Flames were relying on Smith a lot. Uh, Lack didn't get any starts until like near the end of October, until October 25th. So the Flames were like in the double digits and get playing games by the time they actually bothered playing their backup at any. Well, by the time they had their backup start a game, he uh, had some relief in a meaningless blowout. So they basically just were not playing him at all. He had one really good appearance in a relief effort when Smith got suddenly hurt in a game against the Blues back in November. Um, But since then, uh, yeah, I don't think he really got much of a chance. And I believe part of the uh, reasoning for sending him down was so that he would actually get playing time again because with the workload that the Flames were giving Smith, he just wasn't getting anything. And I figured, well, we picked up this uh, Redditch kid for free pretty much. He's a free agent in the... uh, Check Extra League. He was originally acquired last season to uh, help push uh, John Gillies, who was a third-round pick of the Flames, and the guy that uh, they probably invested more into, the guy that they thought um, would probably be closer to being an NHL player sooner rather than later um, compared to Riddich. So Riddich has that uh, backup experience. He has that pushing experience. And um, considering the amount that the Flames are relying on Smith, he's probably the better call to have thrown in for a couple games here or there. Ari Yanover from Flames Nation joining the show, Nation Network Radio, a presentation of Canucks Army. As you kind of alluded to, it sounds like the Calgary Flames have been running a lot with Mike Smith in net. I remember being a bit perplexed by that acquisition. It seemed like they really jumped ahead of the goalie market. And, and you know, you look at Mike Smith's age, you look at his history with the Arizona Coyotes, it didn't really jump off the page as uh, the best option available to them. But it seems, in the ver- very early goings, like the Flames have extracted full value from that trade. So far, yeah, he's, um, like, Smith has his inconsistencies. Like, I mean, pretty much every goalie has their inconsistencies. With Smith, it's like either he's going to be amazing or it's, oh, God, what are you doing? Stop doing whatever this is. 
And for the most part, the start of Slam's career, he's trended more towards the you're being amazing side of things. Um, some cracks have started to show a bit as of late. But um, basically, like, he's been a massive step up in uh, goaltending since, uh, probably since uh, Kaprasov. Jonas Hiller had his one good year here and then fell apart. So I think um, the organization got really gun-shy about what they were doing with their goaltending. They saw Smith was available. They have the uh, Brad Living Arizona Coyotes connection. And they knew, like, Smith is a starter. He's older, but he's very clearly a starter. And they'd been burned on... um, Brian Elliott the year before, who'd never handled a, like a proper full starters workload, so they went for Smith. Smith comes out of the gate like pretty much as good as you could have ever hoped for. So it's like, oh, and this guy wants to keep playing, so we're just going to keep playing him. And he's uh, at least so far through about a quarter of the season, probably been uh, the team's co MVP with Johnny Gaudreau, even despite his um, slight faults as of late. But he's still the uh, best option they've had in net for uh, probably a couple of years now. Speaking with Ariane over from Flames Nation. John, I think you had a question teed up. Yeah, Ariane, I don't know how much you can speak to the, the Flames situation as it pertains to their arena, but uh, co-owner Murray Edwards on the record this week during the uh, GM's meetings and, and presidential meetings in Florida saying that the team is not for sale. Where does this exactly leave things uh, with the possibility of a new rink? As is my understanding, and I'm I'm not the uh, hardcore expert on this. If you go to flamesnation.ca and search for Ryan Park's articles, he has been like on this issue in immense detail. But as is my understanding right now, um, it's up to the Flames to actually come back to the negotiating table. The uh, we had we had our civic election back in October. Um, Nad Nenshi, the incumbent mayor, won, and the Flames uh, were probably not too pleased about that because. He was standing up to them a bit more. But as is my understanding, the city has never like officially left the bargaining table, and the Flames have to go back to them if they want to get a deal done at some point. And considering how, uh, I mean, it's going to be a couple of years till the next election, so if they want to uh, actually talk New Arena again, they're going to have to open up and be a bit more open to negotiating is what I would think. I don't think there's any danger of them moving regardless of the arena situation because, like, the league is fighting to keep the Arizona Coyotes there. The Saladome sells out like every Flames game. It's it, it's just silly. Yeah, that that situation is going to be an interesting one to follow, and certainly glad it's uh, not taking place in this market. I can say that much, although I do uh, empathize with that plight in Calgary. Uh, one last question for you here, Ari. Is I was going to ask you about Travis Hamanick. The, the Flames made a big splash when they acquired him early in the offseason, and it looks like that move has been overshadowed a bit by the success of Mike Smith. Can you take us through Hamannick's season and how well he's adjusted to playing in the Western Conference? I think he's still adjusting. Um, there, there were some warning numbers from uh, some underlying numbers, like before he came in. Uh, if you looked at uh, defensemen, like regular defensemen courses throughout um, the past season, Hamannick was like the third worst defenseman in the NHL. So it's kind of like, oh, that's a steep decline for someone who was highly rated a couple of seasons ago. I don't think he's been that bad this year, but uh, he uh, it's been kind of up and down. Um, there, there have been some positive moments this game, and it looked like he and uh, his regular partner, is uh, TJ Brody, were um, meshing well together. That kind of flew off the rails a bit in the past couple of weeks. Uh he missed a couple games with injury. He came back, and then everything kind of went horrible since then. It just 
missed assignments, no communication, uh, unable to actually do much on the defensive end of things. It looks like that's starting to stabilize out, and he's it's still like a new team after how many years of out playing in New York. So I don't think it was ever going to be particularly smooth sailing, but I don't think it's also going to stay like as bad as it has. Um, when he was traded for it, there were like both that um, the Flames have one of the best defense courts in the league. Look at their top four. It's amazing. Their top defense pairing has lived up to the billing. The second pairing with Brody and Hamannick, not quite as much. Uh, I'm like, just from like a sheer hope perspective, I hope that uh, gets better. I think there's reason to think it can get better, but um, it's, it has been a bit of a disappointment so far to say the least. So you can't really get around that. Well, Ari, I really appreciate you taking the time to join the show. That's uh, Ari Yanover. You can find her work at flamesnation.com, and you can also find it on the Calgary Flames website. I've seen a few of those articles, including one on Michael Backlund. He's a fan favorite on Flames Nation. On the other side, we're going to have some good karma going into the sixth segment. We're going to talk about uh, Jackson McDonald a little bit more and, and what we can do for, for his situation. And you know what? You can reach us by the phone at 604-280-1040, toll-free at 844-876-1040, or email us live at tsn1040.ca. You're listening to TSN 1040, the home for Vancouver sports. This is Nation Network Radio on TSN 1040. Nation Network Radio, coming to you live on a Saturday, Saturday, December 9th. J.D. Burke, John Abbott. You can follow us on Twitter at Burke. That's me. You can follow Abbott at HockeyAbs. We're teeing up the Canucks game tonight. They're playing the Calgary Flames in Calgary, an important divisional match. Both teams have 32 points. They're tied in the standings. The Canucks have the edge with one more regulation or overtime win. We just had Ariane over from Flames Nation to tee that one up. And as soon as Nation Network Radio ends, we're going to have the pregame show on TSN 1040 with John Abbott and Dave Tomlinson. John Abbott doesn't take any breaks, clearly. He just keeps working. Be here until midnight, I suspect. But before we get to that point, let's talk about the Canucks lineup because they're going to have a couple options available to them as they try to get along without Bo Horvat down the middle of their lineup, without Brandon Sutter. He's been out for a bit longer than expected, and frankly, you can't help but wonder how much longer Bo Horvat's going to be out because that broken foot six weeks seems optimistic to me, but I know the Canucks are hoping that he's back sooner than later. We're looking at some possible line combinations for the Canucks right now, and I can't help but wonder, is this not an opportunity for the Canucks to get Sam Gagne and Marcus Granlund going. I mean, they've got two massive holes down the middle of their lineup, two players who play in defensive situations. You've got Marcus Granlund, who could perhaps cover Brandon Sutter in that aspect. You've got a player like Sam Gagne, who is offensively tilted. Perhaps he can cover some of what Bo Horvat brought to the Canucks lineup down the middle. But there's also the chance that Nick Dowd, in his season debut with the Canucks, gets a shot down the middle of the lineup on that third line in a checking role. What, what are your thoughts? I mean, what do the Canucks do here? Because Travis Green said, and he said multiple times, since Bo Horvat went down, you can't replace those two players. But you have to find ways to get through to win hockey games all the same. What are you going to do with this lineup, John? Well, that's a great question. Interesting that you bring up getting Gagne and Grandlin going because we have a text coming in from Sid who uh, suggested, are the moves of Chaput and Dowd playing in the middle directly related 
to allowing Granlin and Gagne to play more offensively. In other words, you have two more defensive-minded centers coming in, and uh, Travis Green has said that much. That's the only thing Green would confirm thus far, that both Dowd and Chapu would get in and would play in the middle. Do you share that opinion that it would be Granlin and Gagne, freeing up Granlin and Gagne to maybe roll with it offensively a little bit more? Well, I, I think there might be something to it, but the the only thing that gives me pause about that is the fact that it's not like the Canucks didn't have Brendan Gauntz available to them, and we know that Travis Green is comfortable playing Gauntz down the middle of his lineup. Going back to his time with the Utica Comets, it's something that he did quite frequently. And we know even this season that Brendan Gauntz has got his chance to play down the middle of the Canucks lineup. And just looking at how things are shaking out, it's one of Dowd or Chaput who's going to end up in the third line. So it's not like they're going to be playing sparse minutes. I expect that Green expects them to be a full-time contributor here at both ends of the ice. So that just makes it a little bit more perplexing for me. And I think when it comes down to it, you don't have to have players pigeonholed, especially when you're a team like the Canucks who need to get scoring from all their lineups. They don't exactly have a top line that's going to blow away the best teams in the league. So you need to have steady secondary scoring. And I don't know if the Canucks have the best chance to do that with Dowd and Chapu taking regular shifts, especially relative to some of the other options available to them. So those are my thoughts. What do you think about that philosophy? It's I, I will say Travis is always going to be between a rock and a hard place the longer that Bo Horvat is out. And the more, no doubt. The more that the Canucks struggle to score, uh, because as much as Bo plays situational, uh, taking not only offensive zone starts, but defensive zone starts, and he took a lot of those prime, important face-offs in the absence of Brandon Sutter, and plays the penalty kill, so that's sort of the the defensive side of the spectrum for Bo Horvat. What they lose in how he drives the offense is not to be understated either, and so as much as this team, and we don't know any of the results other than the one that was played against the Flyers on Thursday... Uh, to dictate and, and illustrate how difficult things can be offensively for the Canucks, it'll be tough to see a name like Goldobin left out of the mix. Whether or not Green is has weighed things against the Calgary Flames and may continue to, let's be honest, against the high-flying Jets, you'd have to think that if tonight goes well in Calgary, probably little, little room for change against the Winnipeg Jets team who has just blown the doors off of people and that's a, a rare Monday night game coming up, that if it's a close call, do you side with the more responsible player, and that would not be Goldobin, or is it too close to call, and you might be forced to rethink the decision-making and, and get Goldobin in? I'd, I have no difficulties, or I have less difficulties with the decision to sideline Burmistrop, I think he's been so hot and cold and uh, has now chosen to be vocal. Uh, I need to see more results from him on the ice before I'm ready to to uh, have him just be an automatic. I think there's players that provide competition. That's all, what it's about no matter uh, what player we're referring to. And so Burmistra fits with that. But Gold Oban possesses enough offense that I think you could probably live with one of Chapu or Dowd and have Gold Oban in. But without knowing exactly how Nick Dowd plays just yet, perhaps that weighs into it as well. But uh, I know there were there weren't a whole lot of answers coming from Travis Green this morning. Jeff Patterson will be along our countdown to face-off pregame show in less than a half an hour to bring us up to speed fully. But he was able to to get some rink batter this morning from some of the players, JD. 
Yeah, that's right. We had our own TSN's Jeff Patterson talking to Nick Dowd, and you were talking about how Nick Dowd is a bit of an unknown quantity to Vancouver. Well, let's let's hear it straight from him. Let's hear what he has to say about his game. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, really excited for the opportunity, and, and I think I can, you know, add something to the team and the organization. So, what sort of challenges are there joining a new team when you haven't had a practice with them yet and trying to get in there? Uh, I mean, I, probably the obvious stuff. I mean, I'm just, you know, I traveled all yesterday. Um, we had a game in LA the day before. I didn't play, so I haven't played in <clears throat> in a couple days. Um, I think obviously. You, you, you jump right in, and the systems. There's a couple wrinkles here, or there, but most teams tend to play pretty similarly. So I, I'm just going to try to focus on playing hockey tonight. Was this a move you were expecting, or did it catch you off guard when you found out? Um, you know, I, I don't think it caught me off guard. I think um, I think they were trying to do me a, a solid and, and, and give me a, a fresh start and, and put me somewhere where I get some opportunity and, and got to play. And, and you know, I really, really thank them for that. Um, and you know, they're 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 a great team and a great organization. So. Yeah from seeing them on the other side. What do you know about them and the way that they play? Um, LA? The Canucks. Oh, the Canucks, sorry. Um, well, I, I, you know, I, I actually personally haven't played them yet this year. Um, we played them in preseason, and, and I know uh, they're a talented bunch of guys. Um, I know they've really focused on their special teams, and, and uh, they, they, play a, they play a five-man connected game, which I'm happy about. Um, I think, you know, they have a lot of speed, so... That's Nick Dowd, who the Canucks acquired late Thursday night after their 4-1 loss to the Philadelphia Flyers for prospect defenseman Jordan Subban. Talking to TSN's own Jeff Patterson, he's going to be on board for Countdown to Faceoff with John Abbott and Dave Tomlinson, so be sure to stick around for that. Interesting comment about the LA Kings doing him a favor by moving him out, because I kind of had that same thought when I thought about this from the Jordan Subban angle, which was how much of this was the agent trying to finally get his client into a situation where he can grow and perhaps become a full-time NHLer. We know for a fact that he's not there yet, but we also know he wasn't going to get that chance in Vancouver. It just was starting to look that way. Perhaps that there are agents' fingerprints on this trade. That's sort of what I'm thinking. Well, I think agents generally have the phone on speed dial to the, uh, to the GM as it pertains to their player if that player becomes you know, less content with the surroundings that he's in or move further down the depth chart. Certainly the latter applies to Jordan Subban. Uh, can imagine that was the same case for Nick Dowd. Don't know exactly how both players uh, perceive their situations to be, but you'd think there'd be some frustration coming from the Jordan Subban camp, especially when, uh, you know, I do believe that Jordan recognized he had uh, some some flaws in his game to be rounded out. I do believe he felt he has spent enough time in the American League uh, trying to improve on those. And uh, I, I like Jordan, and I appreciate Jordan as, as a person, first and foremost, because he was always up front in speaking with us. And I can go back to that road trip last year where he was called up and didn't play. And, and he was self-admitted that, yeah, his play in the defensive zone needs to get better. That's part of the reason he was on recall, according to how then-coach Willie Desjardins related to Jordan, was to get some NHL practices in, work on things with individual coaches, uh, breakouts, passing. And it's funny, we heard passing come up at the beginning of the year from Travis Green. And so, you know, Jordan Subban recognized that there were areas to improve. But I'd, you'd have to think that laboring, whether... The improvements in your mind were on par with how the rest of the org organization viewed it or not, but laboring through the American Hockey League as much as Jordan Subban did without getting one game's look 
amidst all the injuries the Canucks had on the back end, probably builds to frustration at some point. So uh, you think it's one of those trades where, hey, maybe it works out great for both guys. And that's I'm sure right. lots of times if you get that to, to occur, that's the best-case scenario. I don't know how Andre Padan is doing in Pittsburgh, seemingly okay in the American Hockey League, but it's definitely worked out in a good trade for the Canucks coming out with Derek Pouliot on the other end. And uh, in the short term, even if it's short term, Nick Dowd, maybe, just maybe, is going to provide some help down the middle. That's right, and and I just keep coming back to this. It depends on which player the Canucks get out and Nick Dowd. The one last season that was so effective in a checking role and suppressed shots at a rate similar to Patrice Bergeron, or the one who's producing at a 45% clip when it comes to on-ice shot attempts at even strength. So it's going to be interesting for me. And, and you know what's kind of curious? We're looking at the Canucks' possible lineups here, and I even checked out uh, on Twitter here. It looks like Nick Dowd is likely to center the third line that's interesting to me because it means he hasn't just leapfrogged Alexander Burmistrov or perhaps Sam Gagne. It means he's leapfrogged a lot of players. I mean, that that speaks a lot to the quality that Travis Green sees from Nick Dowd if he's willing to go that far. Don't you think? Yeah, I try not to get too far my, ahead of myself there um, because I've learned my lesson with Travis Green that things yeah. change oh so quickly. Yeah. And I keep going back, J.D., to the fact that there are two right-handed centers in the lineup, and that's Sam Gagne, and that's now Nick Dowd. And so if they end up on the same line, all right, Travis Green is testing something out and has an idea of how he wants to stack up. Don't forget, there's Monaghan and Gaudreau coming at you from the Flames. Everybody knows about that line, but yeah. Chuck Backlund for leak. No sludge either. Yep. So there are. it's not always just about what you see in front of you. It's a little bit of game p planning on what's on the other side. And so if it starts that way for Travis Green, I'm not, I'm not willing to go too far yet into the opinion of, of why Nick Dowd is playing there because it could change very easily. And in fact, the lines that we have in front of us that were uh, drummed up by Jeff Patterson sniffing around the rink this morning and uh, J.D. that you brought up through looking at social media, if indeed Grant, or excuse me, Gagne and Dowd end up on the same line, boy, I could see Gagne switching in and out very quickly with Berchi and Besser if, the, if this is how the Canucks choose to start, which we don't know. So I think there's room for plenty of change. Uh, you know, it could go from a magic bullet to a Vitamix pretty quickly. <laughs> That's right. And I think we saw a little bit of that against the Flyers on, on Thursday. And it speaks again to the comments that Travis Green has made, which is that, you know what, they just can't replace a player like Bo Horvat. And perhaps to a certain extent, they feel the same way about Brandon Sutter. So it's always going to be about chasing a set line where you can find a better sum than the equal of their parts. Now, we're talking about lineups and hypotheticals here, John. You're telling me that we've got a listener question coming up. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's get to a couple of these, and thanks for weighing in. Again, uh, we'll remind you that we still have uh, one more time slot, one more segment for your calls, emails, and texts. Uh, text us at 104040, email at live at tsn1040.ca. Chime in, 844-876-1040 on the toll-free number. Text coming in. If the Canucks struggle to score tonight, Green will take a lot of heat for keeping Goldobin out of the lineup from Johnny Mack, and uh, it's hard to disagree with that notion. Yeah, 
<laughs> that's I, I agree entirely with that point. And I think you saw a little bit of that before the Canucks even called up Nikolai Goldobin. There was, that, I think, that week-long stretch where they had a real tough time scoring goals. And it starts to raise the question, can this team go on without one of their best offensive prospects? Of course, we were talking about some of the, the development that we need to see from him in the defensive zone or the Canucks need to see from him. But when it comes to putting pucks in the back of the net, he's one of their best options, and it's kind of peculiar to see him on the outside looking in. As we know it right now, and we'll get you further up to date with uh, Countdown to Faceoff, which uh, follows our show, as previously mentioned, here's another one to double back on that Subban and Dowd conversation as we continue to keep things fluent here. Let's call spade a spade. If Jordan's last name was anything other than Subban, which, by the way, blew up last night with uh, PK and Malcolm going head-to-head, Going to a shootout. This trade would barely be newsworthy. Wasn't going to see any notable time in the NHL and the Canucks system anyway. Why not deal him to fill the gap for now? Tanner and Langley, his opinion on that trade. Well, I, I, I don't know if I agree with that assessment. I mean, perhaps the fact that Jordan's last name happens to be Subban plays some role in the level of hype that comes along with him as a prospect. But we're also talking about somebody who in his rookie AHL season produced 36 points played on their top pair. He, th- There was legitimate reason to be excited about Jordan Subban as a prospect, even going back to what he did with the Belleville Bulls in the OHL. So I don't know if I necessarily buy that. And even if you look at what he did, uh, Jeremy Davis developed a system for looking at the likelihood of a prospect's success rates based on their production and historical comparables. I remember that Jordan Subban at one point in 2016, his draft plus three season, he had a 55% expected success rate. Okay, like that, it's not entirely name value. There were legitimate reasons. Now, another point that I would make about this trade is what are the Canucks really gaining with Nick Dowd? I mean, how many wins do you think he adds to the Canucks lineup? So I can certainly understand the argument that you would keep Jordan Subban because what if there's a 1% chance that he's a legitimate NHL player? How long are you willing to wait? Well, I mean... The alternative is you just get a replacement level. Was he not was he not healthy scratched this year already in Utica? Yep. If yeah, I'm not he, mistaken. He's fallen behind. And how many points does he have? Uh, he has about five points through 16 okay. games. So, so things it, have changed a little bit as we have become to what we were accustomed to with Jordan Subban turning out. Heck, he even dropped the gloves this year. Yeah. That's that's not what you think about when you think a sign of frustration. Jordan Su- I'm not saying that. I'm just <laughs> indicating that you know the mighty stats have fallen off a little bit. Yep. Fallen out of favor with a head coach where you have a clean slate, mm-hmm. you'd think with a healthy scratch. And then all of a sudden he's fighting guys just doesn't seem to be adding up in now his fourth American Hockey League season. I believe this is his third. Or no, 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 this is his fourth. You know what, though? I mean, like, here's my thing. You can find Nick Dowd on waivers probably another four times until the end of the season. They could have signed him in free right. agency. It's the, it's the, what are the Canucks getting back? I get that. And and I'm not ready to brandish a pitchfork or set a, a torch on fire. It's it's a pretty whatever trade. I'll agree with him on that front. <laughs> it's hardly what you call a blockbuster. It's a, a 13th forward for an AHL second pair defenseman. But that points me back, and I know we have to go here, but that, that points me back to, I think, what, the text message was getting at a little bit is that the perceived value for the guy named Subban, in this case Jordan, uh, might have been much higher in the Canucks circles, fan base wise, than it actually was 
with rival teams because I think if there was a better trade to be made, I'd be shocked if it didn't wouldn't have happened already. And yeah. so maybe this was a little bit necessity where instead of sitting back and waiting a little bit longer yet again, if the Canucks had an idea that they were going to move him anyway, maybe they waited until this year's deadline. If, if Horvat doesn't get injured, perhaps. We don't know that. But because there was a necessity, maybe you, you push it a little bit more and find out what other teams are interested. But I, I still think if dealing from a position of strength was a true possibility, Jordan Subban would have been gone before the beginning of this season. That's right. He probably would have been gone before the beginning of last season, if we're being honest. Uh, you know what? I think we're going to have to take a break on the Subban discussion for now. We're going to take some callers on the other side of the break. We've got phone lines open. You can reach us at 604-280-1040, toll-free, 844-876-1040. Email us live at tsn1040.ca or text us at 104040. We want to hear your thoughts on the, the Canucks game ahead of the Hockey Night in Canada matchup with the Calgary Flames. You're listening to TSN 1040, the home of Vancouver sports. This is Nation Network Radio on TSN 1040. Nation Network Radio coming to you live on a Saturday, teeing up the Canucks against the Flames tonight at 7 o'clock. John Abbott and Dave Tomlinson are going to bring you the countdown to faceoff. I'm here with John Abbott right now. You can reach him at Twitter at HockeyAbs. I'm your host, J.D. Burke. You can find me at Jay Dylan Burke, and we're going to get into some good karma here. You just heard Jackson McDonald on the show a couple segments ago talking about Marcus Granlin, Jordan Subban. Uh, what you might not know is that he just went through a bit of a, a difficult moment there as his house caught fire. So we're trying to raise some money for, for Jackson McDonald, who does great work at Canucks Army. He's a great voice in the Canucks community, whether it's analysis, banter, whatever. So I'm going to retweet a Canucks Army tweet where you can find the GoFundMe to help Jackson McDonald and his partner, Rachel, try to raise some funds so that they can get through on the other side of this fire in as good a shape as they went into it with. It's an unfortunate moment, and I know that it would mean a lot to them for any donation, big or small. JD, you have a big heart, my man, and I uh, appreciate you bringing that up for some good karma. I'm going to share that with you. Uh, when we go back to what people are chiming in with as to who should sit tonight, that was the subject of our poll question up on tsn1040.ca and at TSN1040 on Twitter. I'll give you the website version. Options are at Goldobin, Burmistrov, Gantz, Chapu, and on tsn1040.ca, 54% saying Alex Burmistrov. That seems to be the way Travis Green is going to lean. What is Twitter saying, J.D.? Twitter is a little bit more divided. We've got a bit more variance there. We've got Michael Chapu heavily in the lead with 53%. Burmistrov not terribly far behind with 29%, Gaunt 16, 2% with Gold Dobin, and perhaps one of the people who emailed us might be among them. Yes, indeed. Robin Surrey was suggesting that Gold Dobin is not the offensive juggernaut that many suggest. He has five goals in 27 NHL games, so give it a rest. And uh, listen, we're, we're looking at the lineup suggesting or asking where are the goal is going to come from, and I don't know unless we're surprised by Nick Dowd or Michael Chaput that uh, Nikolai Goldobin wouldn't be in a better opportunity to provide one, but we love the opinion, and we'll find out pretty soon uh, what is in store for Travis Green and the Canucks. Quickly, this is the last one for me for a bit, J.D., so uh, it's That's been a right. pleasure being on with you through these, uh, what are we at, eight or nine weeks of... I think this is nine. Nine weeks of Nation Network Radio. I'm going to take a small break for the World Juniors, which you can find across the TSN Radio Network. I'll join you periodically from Buffalo to keep track of what 
Team Canada and the Canucks prospects throughout all countries are doing. Exotic Buffalo. So exotic Buffalo. And uh, we're going to have, you're going to have a whole lot of fun in my absence, no surprise, with uh, actually getting some quality hosts on the air. And uh, <laughs> it'll be a blast every Saturday as we continue along the, the road here. You're far too hard on yourself, but we're going to have a, a new set of hosts for the, the next four episodes. We're going to have Karen Sermon next week on the show. Patrick Johnson, an OG of Canucks Army, is going to be joining the show. But for right now, we're going to wrap that up. Countdown to face-off is next. We've got Dave Tomlinson and John, uh, John Habit teeing up the Canucks game against the Flames. They're going to take you right to puck drop. And thanks for joining us. It's been a great episode of Nation Network Radio on your home for Vancouver sports, TSN 1040. This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal. In Port Coquitlam and online at metromotors.com.